Welcome to Ohm Times TV, a division of Ohm Times Media and Broadcasting. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgbeer. Hello and welcome back to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live video series. And with us today to share the stories behind the 10 books that had the most significant impact on his life path is world-renowned channeler for Adama St. Germain, lecturer, author, and co-founder of the Crimson Circle, Jeffrey Hoppy. Jeff, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And uh, I love the whole idea of the, the book club. It's, it's amazing. And I love the title, the No BS. Yeah, I should uh, call it the No Macchio, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. And that's what, uh, that's what Adamus calls kind of what, what he says is spiritual BS. You know, it's things we get distracted about or just get caught up. And he calls it Macchio. And it's actually an ancient Zen term. So it's really not even his, but it's such an appropriate term. We use yeah. it all the time in Crimson Circle. And it's appropriate for now because, you know, I mean, you've been around this arena a long time. So have I. And in that time, we've seen, we've seen it become kind of trendy and mainstream. Yeah. And, you know, and that's wonderful. And with it comes the other side where, you know, people well-meaning, I'm sure, you know, get so excited and they all start churning out the books, but based on the teachings that they've already had. Mm -hmm. And... To me, something gets lost in translation. You know, yeah. some of the original essence and authenticity disappears. And when that happens, I think it becomes a little bit less um, impactful for people. And, yeah. um, and there's a lot of distraction going on. So what I like to do is just point people to, you know, here's the good stuff. Look over there. Don't look over there. Well, and, and just with your book club, I found a number of books that I've, kind of heard about and I wanted to read, but seeing them on the lists, I, okay, I'm going to go for that book. That's, uh, it's very, very helpful. Well, the downside for me is I, you know, I thought I was pretty well read <laughs> and now my list is getting longer and longer. And oh, another one. I've got to read that one as well. So let's just start by talking a little bit about your, your journey. Cause I mean, you said that your journey to realization started at 18 when you hypnotized a friend to quit smoking. Tell us what happened. Well, it was very strange. Um, I, I was 18 years old. I come from a small town in Midwest United States, very conservative Catholic. And uh, it's, it's also where uh, I went to high school with my dear wife, Linda. We've been married 42 years now. We actually met in fourth grade. Wow. But I digress. Uh, so, uh, you know, I really didn't have a, much of a worldview is the best way to say it. Long story short, I joined the Army. They sent me out to Mountain View, California, actually to work for NASA. 
uh, even though I was in the army, it was really strange. And while I was out there, a buddy of mine came to visit from Wisconsin. I had learned how to do hypnosis as a part of a high school speech class, uh, actually. And I thought, well, I'll test it out on him. Uh, he wanted to quit smoking, so I put him under, and he went very deep. Um, I'd done it with some other people, but they'd never gone as deep as this guy. And I was asking him just the typical questions. Uh, and, and then I thought, well, I'll try to regress him. And I brought him back to when he was 10 years old. He had very clear memories. I brought him back to when he was five years old, very clear memories. And then I thought, well, I wonder what happens before you're born. And of course, the Catholic side of me would have said, you know, you're in heaven with God or, you know, you're not born yet. You don't exist. Well, I asked him the question and he started to recount past lives which I'd never, I wasn't terribly familiar with. I mean, it wasn't part of my uh, upbringing or uh, kind of part of my background. And not only one, but over the period of uh, a couple of weeks, we did these sessions and uh, he recounted probably about a dozen past lives in great detail, things he wouldn't have known. He wasn't a rocket science, a nice guy, but you know, he, he wasn't, uh, it wouldn't have known these things and very diverse, you know, just wasn't in one location. He wasn't always a man. It blew my mind. It just totally blew me away. And I was, I thought I was the person, only person in the world who knew about past lives now, but I did do a little research this is long before the internet, uh, did a little research and, uh, which led me to Edgar Casey, And I, I read, uh, gosh, just everything I could get my hands on. This was back in the mid seventies. And, uh, it was a little tougher back then to find those kind of books, but uh, that was really the start of my journey. It, it really opened my eyes and it got me searching. And uh, from there, actually, I, I meditated for a number of years. And uh, that's really kind of the key point, the key turning point. And was Linda with you along that journey or did, it, did she, you know, for a time think, oh my God, he's lost it? <laughs> oh, she, it was kind of funny because Linda and I, uh, I was out in California. She was going to school in Wisconsin at University of Wisconsin in Madison. And she would come out to visit me for the summers. I had a nice little apartment that the army paid for. And, uh, and, and, and Mountain View is now, of course, where the, the tech center. Matter of fact, I was there at the same time Steve Jobs was tinkering around in the garage, which was located about a mile from my apartment. I've never met him that I know of, but uh, so Linda would come out and visit me in the summers. So uh, one summer she came out and I started to talk to her and about reincarnation and she was just aghast. And she said, don't ever, ever tell our children about that. Don't ever tell anybody about these weird beliefs. And now here she is traveling the world with me uh, and doing this. So yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't terribly open to it right away. Mm. Well, you know, uh, two of the questions we always start with are, um, what do books in general mean to you? Well, I come from a family of readers. Uh, my dad would read probably uh, uh, three or four books a week, you know, the paperbacks. Uh, my mom was a big reader. We were all encouraged to read. So I've loved reading. It was my kind of escape, getaway. I uh, always loved it. And I started writing when I was fairly early, fairly young, just again, coming up in that upbringing. Uh, so I remember in high school, my favorite classes were, were reading, writing, you know, creative writing, that type of thing. I wasn't terribly big on science and math. Linda was always good in those things, but nah, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And actually my job with the army, uh, where they sent me out to work with NASA was as a technical writer. So I was writing about um, 
helicopter research and aerodynamics and things like that, which wasn't, that's not really fun kind of writing, but uh, mm. it, it kind of honed my skills. Yeah, there's not much chance to be creative in technical writing, is there? But actually, I, I did. Uh, it was kind of funny because I, I had to write some article about helicopter de-icing systems, you know, for when helicopters, uh, military helicopters are flying in the winter. And so I went to the NASA art department and said, hey, would you draw me a little illustration of a helicopter with a kind of a stocking cap on it and some snow? And I thought it was a great idea. And uh, it got incredibly good coverage in all the aeronautical magazines because it was different. So, uh, yeah, but my boss wasn't terribly happy with it because he said, now we have to keep you know, doing better each time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, the second question is, what was it like for you having to compile this list? Did you find it hard or was it really easy? No, I found it fascinating. I, I love the idea, uh, your whole idea of doing the book club. And it was kind of fun because I sat down to uh, list the things. And uh, it was funny what came up. Uh, it wasn't necessarily what I expected. I, I love reading, so I uh, read a lot of different things. But as I wrote these down, which ones are really important to me, and I had to cross some off the list, it, uh, it, it was kind of fun. It was kind of also kind of a, a walk down memory lane, like which books hit me early on. Mm, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have said, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go for that book now, but boy, at that time, did it make a big impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'd, uh, you know, the books on my list, I think I'd recommend all of them to anybody. Uh, and my, my first real eye-opener was Siddhartha. Uh, yeah. I read that in senior year of high school. I was in a um, something called great books class, you know, where you studied different things. And I read Siddhartha, and it just blew my mind. Because, uh, again, I had no background in any of this small town in Midwest United States and reading Siddhartha by Herman Hess, who was one of my favorite authors of all times, uh, it, it opened my eyes and actually tied into a year later doing this hypnosis session because I had read about reincarnation with uh, Siddhartha. Mm. And that was on your list as number one. I don't think you yep. put your list in any particular order, did you? No. No, it was just what came, but I, I think I subconsciously put it as number one because it had such an impact on me, such an eye-opener. And, and not only when I read it, was it just something unusual and fascinating, but I related to it. There was something kind of woke up deep within me, and uh, I loved it. You know, it's come up several times, uh, quite frequently. Mm -hmm. It's actually interesting now that we're several months into it to watch which books are coming up again and again and again. Yeah. And uh, I, I noticed that going through some of the other lists. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to see if anybody had anything similar to mine. And uh, I noticed that quite a few people had Siddhartha. Yeah. One of the things I want to do moving forward um, is to create a, uh, you know, a current like 10 best of the 10 best, which right, ones right. are being recommended again and again. Like the most highly rated. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number two is another one that comes up quite a bit, and that is Seth Speaks, The yeah. Eternal Validity of the Soul by Jane Roberts. Yeah. What was it about that book? Well, it was actually right after I tore through all the Edgar Casey books and somebody recommended Seth. Uh, and so I got that. So again, this is back in the 70s. That makes me sound old. Uh, but uh, I read that and I didn't understand a word of it. So I got the, the next book in the, the Seth uh, series and read that. It, it was so difficult and 
didn't understand anything, but yet I forced myself to read it. Uh, I love Seth, you know, as a, as a character, as the entity that uh, Jane Roberts channeled. And one of the things I would have always loved to do is to be at one of those sessions with Seth and Jane Roberts early on. I mean, that would have been like one of the top things in my life. Uh, but uh, that had such an impact. And again, I really didn't understand it but I must have picked up things from it along the line. And to this day, I just, uh, I go back every once in a while, pick up uh, one of the Seth books and just read a, a few pages of it. Now I get it and I'm even more amazed by it. But Seth was uh, so, and Jane Roberts, so far ahead of their times. Uh, they, they were just amazing. As, as a channel, I mean, do you now read when you pick it up again, do you read it in a different way? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, 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 there are so many layers in some of these books, uh, particularly Seth. Uh, and uh, when I read it now, there are so many different layers. Even, uh, I have to admit, the, the Adamus materials, you know, I channel it and I go back and read some of it later. And it's like, oh, I don't remember that. And then I'll read something later, later. And it's like, I didn't even know. I, I didn't realize he said that. It, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah, I think the first channeled book I ever read was um, Earth is the Only Planet of Choice. Do you know that one? Mm. I'm familiar with it. I didn't read it. Yeah. What impressed me about that one was that uh, one of the people sitting in the group uh, when, um, you know, the Council of Nine were channeling was Gene Roddenberry. Oh, you're kidding. No. That would have, that would, would have been amazing. So, Amazing. so that I think is what you know sparked off the whole idea for Star Trek. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, Linda actually went to a speech of his live when, when he was still alive uh, years and years ago, and she still talks about it to, to this day. Meeting Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. book number three again. Yes. This comes up several times. Um, Illusions, Richard Bark, nineteen seventy-seven. When yeah. did you read that book? Uh, it was probably, I'm, I'm going back, it was probably about 1994. I kind of took a hiatus from everything spiritual after my California years. I, I, I lived out there for about three years. I moved back to Wisconsin and uh, went to work at an advertising agency. And for the next, I don't know, 25 years, I let all this stuff go. Uh, which was kind of sad, uh, but I was so involved in business. I, I uh, then eventually, when I was about 28, moved to Texas, started my own advertising agency, uh, marketing consulting, and I really just got away from all this stuff. And then in about, I guess it was about 1994, must have been, I'm getting this, what I call the internal knocking at the door, an unease and an unrest and I was really busy with the business world. I had a startup aviation company as well and uh, very, very busy, but there was just something gnawing at me. And that's about the time I uh, went to a bookstore and actually the first book that I read that I don't believe is on my list. I'm checking it out really quick. It, it was a good book, but not one of the greats was Celestine Prophecy. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of dropped in my lap and I read it and in it, again, it was amazing. Uh, I, didn't put it on my list here because uh, it didn't quite reach some of these others, but that was an eye opener for me. 
uh, and actually funny as things go over the years, uh, we have actually worked with James Redfield, you know, shared the stage with him. So that was a kick, you know, this guy that wrote this amazing book and now we're working with him. Uh, shortly after that, I read Illusions and I loved it. I mean, it was such a, a beautiful book. I, I went back and read Jonathan Livingston Siegel after that, didn't compare it to Illusions. And, mm. and, and Illusions just, uh, you know, my interpretation then is different than now, but now I'd say that uh, the, the main character, the, the reluctant guru, um, he knew how to let energy serve him. And that's such a big thing of what Adamus teaches now. Uh, and it wasn't stated that way in his book, but he had a life of ease and grace. And that's what happens when you recognize that energy, all energy is there to serve you. And once you allow that, then, you know, he never had to clean off his airplane and he, you know, never had to worry about anything. It was just everything kind of worked out. Uh, so that, that book had a big impact. Was, was that before you discovered Cryon? Yes, it was. Uh, it was about a year before I discovered Cryon, yeah. And were you secretly channeling yourself at that point? No. No, no, never thought of channel. I was in the business world and on top of that, uh, and the aviation business, the aviation business is very, very straightforward. There's, you know, it's all about rules and regulations. So no, I wasn't, uh, no. And if anybody had said back then that you're going to be traveling around the world channeling, I would have really told them they were crazy. <laughs> yeah. So book number four, again, this one has cropped up a few times and it's one of, one of the books that I love is The Road Less Traveled. Yeah. New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values and Spiritual Growth, M. Scott Peck. So what was it about that one? Because it's quite different, it's quite yeah. different than the others. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say it w for me it was a spiritual book. It was more of a psychological book. Yes. And that one was really, really key because uh, I, I'd come from a wonderfully large dysfunctional family and wonderfully dysfunctional, not wonderfully large, but uh, very dysfunctional. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of old issues. Uh, my dad was a nasty alcoholic and just all sorts of problems. And, and, uh, that book showed, gave me a perspective, uh, and it showed me you can take a different road. You don't have to, you, know, you don't have to carry all that baggage around either. And I recognized through that, that those weren't my issues. I didn't, uh, I had it blamed myself, even as a kid, you know, where you take on the family issues. And that book basically told me that, uh, hey, these aren't your issues. You don't have to carry them around. And it had a big impact on me on a psychological basis. And, and I think ultimately spiritual. Yeah, it did that for me too. I mean, there were things in there and looking back, I don't know how I didn't realize because they, it's common sense in some respects, but just, yeah. Simple little things. I remember the th one thing that stuck with me was the whole thing about self-gratification, you know, yes. and, and it was like a big revelation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, but you know, these were, uh, you know, these were groundbreaking books uh, back then. Now we might look at them and say, well, that's not such a big deal, but they were huge. And, and that and the, uh, the other book, uh, I believe, uh, was Scott Peck, uh, People of the Lie. That had a big impact. I almost put that on here instead of The Road Less Traveled, but The People of the Lie was a big book. And, and basically about how you create lies, then you, they go into your reality, you start believing them, and then, and then ultimately, as I know now, those lies and your belief in them is basically what attracts energy to you. Yes. And, and it, it then makes your reality. Yes, yeah. 
it's no, powerful. No. And yeah, and so and that those was who don't get that. Yeah, and that was right about the same time I was reading uh, Illusions and, like I said, that knocking at the door, uh, reading um, uh, James Redfield's uh, Celestine Prophecy. So something was really starting to churn in my life. And, and, mm -hmm. and, I, and I could feel it. Now it was coming to the surface. This was about 1995, I think, somewhere in there. And even though I was very busy in the business world, suddenly I just wasn't that interested anymore. This other thing was coming over my life. And I think Linda uh, knew that something kind of odd was happening with me. Well, then the next book on your list, and I don't know whether this is, you know, sequential, but the next book on your list is Cryon, book one, The End Times, right. New Information for Personal Peace by, of course, Lee Carroll. Now, he published that in 1993. When did you come across it? I read it in about 1995. Uh, I, I know I read it in 1995. And the actual date that I started reading it was April 3rd, 1995. Oh, and the setup for this book was kind of funny. Uh, we had uh, had an office course, and, and I'd hired a temp to come in to help with some admin duties and that. And Linda and I got to know her, and it was very nice. And she came in one day with a great big box of books because uh, she knew I liked to read. And she said, you know, here you have these. Do what you want with them. So I, I kind of put them uh, aside, and, and a couple of weeks later, uh, one night, Sunday night, April 3rd, I was uh, rummaging through. I wanted something to read. And I saw this strange white book, you know, and, and not your typical cover on a book. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. I'll give this a try. It was just all white with a gold kind of a foil stamp, uh, the word crayon, uh, which I thought it was the paint, the, you know, the spray paint uh, brand. But anyway, I picked it up and started reading and it was a Sunday night and I was blown away. I mean, unbelievably blown away. And not only that, but the uh, I went out on a journey, kind of like a, a lucid journey. And I knew I was laying in bed at my house in Texas, but I'm out on this journey with these two angelic beings. And all the time thinking, I'm going nuts. Something really is crazy happening here. And they took me out on this amazing journey, showed me things that I wish I'd have written it down because I actually forgot about it. And it lasted about an hour. Uh, after that, I it was now about two o'clock in the morning. I got up and walked outside to our backyard, and there was this huge swirl in this big live oak tree that I was sitting underneath. Up in the leaves and the branches, this swirl of wind. But where I was sitting, there was nothing. And it was one of those, oh, crap moments. What the hell is going on? And... Um, that, that book had a huge impact. It really got me back on track. Uh, so I, I read through that and, and it started kind of going through um, a real transformational period. Uh, Linda was concerned because uh, she saw me reading this book and she knew there was something very odd and different about me. So uh, this is a couple months later. Uh, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I noticed the bathroom light was on. Linda wasn't in bed next to me. So I got up quietly open the bathroom door. There she is uh, sitting on the toilet, uh, not using the toilet, just sitting on it as a chair, reading the book. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And she said, I had to read it to see what kind of cult that you're in. And I said, so what do you think? And she said, it's actually pretty good. So she was very open to it. And uh, that book had a huge impact. Um, 
So much so that I, it had such an impact on me because a week later I had another experience. These angelic beings came and got me again. It was a Sunday night, one week later, went out on another journey, met Cryon, and all this time wondering, am I going crazy? I mean, is, am I just going nuts? But it felt so right. It felt so good. And uh, anyway, I, you met, this is back in 1995. So I actually uh, typed a letter <laughs> on a typewriter, as we used to do, and sent a letter to Lee Carroll, uh, not knowing if he'd ever get it or reply. But I had these questions, these seven things that came up, very, very specific things that came up in these kind of lucid dreams. And uh, I sent it off to him. And about two weeks later, I got a four-page hand-typed uh, letter back from Lee. Uh, make a long story short, we started to connect and communicate. And within a couple of years, we were handling all of his workshops uh, in the United States. He only traveled in the U.S. at that time. I went to the United Nations with him a couple of times and uh, got to be good friends with him. We still uh, are friends and we email back and forth. Yeah, when, when in this journey did you start channeling? I mean, you've met... A lot of beings right. um, you know how did that actually come about for you Tobias was the first was he yes uh, it wasn't in, intentional by design I would have never thought about it but uh, it was two years later uh, after reading the crying book and in the meantime I'd read more books and uh, Linda was now helping with uh, we, we were hosting crying events uh, all over and um, uh, it was about two years later I was on a, a flight home from a business meeting and just kind of, you know, by myself and, and uh, I think it was about eight or nine o'clock at night. So just tired from a long day, but not sleeping. And all of a sudden I heard a very, very clear voice and it said, I am Tobias. I'm here to work with you. I opened my eyes, nobody sitting next to me. You know, it's back in the days when you had all three seats to yourself. Uh, younger people won't know what that's like, but uh, um, and I looked around. I thought, that's strange. Closed my eyes again. After about five minutes, the same voice, I'm Tobias, I'm here to work with you. My first thought was, first of all, I am so busy, I'm running two companies, I don't have time for any more work. And then having been now in the spiritual business for a little bit, I wondered right away, and I asked, are you from the light or from the dark? And Tobias kind of laughed and said, you got to figure that one out. <laughs> and, and later on, I realized that, you know, he could have said, sure, I'm from the light and posing is from the dark. But um, anyway, he and I chatted on that, uh, the rest of the airplane flight for about an hour. It was incredibly amazing. And uh, I, I got home, went to sleep. And the next morning, I was really depressed because it had been such a high. And I knew that I just must be going crazy. Uh, and I, I was really busy with work. Uh, the aviation company was a startup. It was like a, a, a big startup. Uh, it's now actually a public company. So I, I was depressed and I said, you know, stop playing these mind games. Stop distracting. You're just, you're working too hard, but don't get caught in, in all this other stuff. And um, uh, so I kind of put it aside. A week later, I was driving home from work one night and he popped in again and said, okay, our work starts. And I'm like, I, I know I'm losing it, but this is amazing. And mm -hmm. so he um, worked with me for about a year. Uh, every night driving home from work, I had about a 45 minute drive. And 
he came in every night and to teach me. Uh, it was basically my spiritual boot camp. And he would teach me these amazing concepts about how to feel. And I didn't tell anybody because it was, it was so strange. I mean, it was so weird. Uh, about a year later, I told Linda and she was very open about it. But it was shortly after that, that I, I started channeling Tobias just for a small groups, like six people or whatever. And uh, that's led to what we do now. Yeah, I mean, um, could you have ever imagined? I mean, the size of the organization now. Oh, and, you know, I had no idea who Tobias was. Uh, actually, I don't know why, but I didn't even ask him right away. And when I finally did, he gave me some clues. I had to do the research myself, but I realized that Tobias, oh, he did say, he, he said, I'm your father. I thought that's really odd because uh, my father at the time actually was alive. And I thought, again, I'm just, I'm crazy in the brain. But when I did some research on Tobias, I found out he had, it was one of the apocryphal books of the Bible uh, that for the most part was removed because they, you know, said it was just a story. But I found uh, a copy of it, read it, and it's like, oh my God, I get it now. It's a beautiful story about Tobias Sr., uh, who goes blind and uh, he, he's actually, uh, it takes place in about, I think about 500 BC and about how his son, Tobias Jr. goes working with uh, Archangel uh, Raphael to find the cure. And uh, I'm reading this as I, dad, you're Tobias, my dad in that lifetime. And he's like, yep. He said, we have an old agreement, an old, old agreement to uh, work together. And um, here we are. It was, it was beautiful. So what was it like then when he left? You know, it was, I channeled him for 10 years and it was really the, the beginnings of Crimson Circle. I channeled with my eyes closed, sitting on a chair. And he was so uh, warm and uh, he, he was so grandfatherly in a way, you know, to all the listeners. And he, he was basically here to say, you're not crazy. Uh, the world might have you think that, but you are not crazy. Uh, some beautiful, beautiful channels. Uh, he, he uh, very, very loving. And, you know, when he left, uh, it was a little odd. I mean, it wasn't like heartbreaking. I just knew it was time for him to go. And I, I don't know why I knew. Uh, the last channel that we ever did was uh, up in Breckenridge, Colorado. There was, I think, about 800 people there and, you know, for his departure. And uh, that was very, very touching. And I wasn't sure what was coming next. I knew Tobias had said that this uh, Adama St. Germain was going to kind of take over. But I was kind of half thinking, well, maybe it's time to just retire, you know, uh, just do nothing. But I'll, I'll give this Adamas a try. And uh, the first six months, it was tough um, because Adamas was not like Tobias, as you probably know. Adamas wanted me to open my eyes, walk around the room. He's arrogant at times. He, he the, Some of the stuff he says is I, it's just even tough to get it out of my mouth during channeling because it's so um, over the top. Uh, but I finally settled into it. I love working with Adamas now. And, and I miss Tobias. I miss that. Yeah. I didn't um, really follow Tobias, but I do love Adamas just because it's my sense of humor. You know, I love right. it that he's willing to just in your face. He does. Uh -huh. and, and he run, he's run people off. Uh, you know, his thing is very clear that I'm here for one thing, to work with those who 
uh, are, are truly choosing their embodied enlightenment in this lifetime. I don't want to talk to anybody else. I'm not interested in, you know, doing predictions. I'm not interested in talking about aliens. He, he can't stand aliens, which doesn't make us very popular in Sedona. But uh, he said I, he's, early on, I think one of the first channels, he said, I don't care if it's just five people. Uh, I'll be here for you. Uh, I don't care if it's five. And he's run off a lot of people. Uh, be, when they get into the macchio, he's, you don't belong here. Go somewhere else. Nope. BS kind of guy, which is my no kind BS. of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about book number six because this yeah. is, um, I don't know if you pronounce it, Altar or Althar, The Crystal Dragon by Wakan Wolfram. And yeah, it I depends. Think, uh, what, isn't Wakan one of your Crimson Circle people? Yeah, actually, uh, the book, uh, he pronounces it Altar. Uh, Altar. And uh, we met him early on at one of the workshops in uh, Constance, Germany, right on the Swiss border. Uh, it was a, a sold out event. Uh, I think there was like 300 people or something. And our sponsor came and got me and said, there's this pain in the butt guy dressed in uh, like a Zen monk thing. And he insists on talking to you. Normally I would have just said, you know, we're about to go on stage in 20 minutes. It's not a real good time, but I looked out down the hallway and I saw this guy, you know, uh, shaved head, all the Buddhist robes on and everything. And I'm like, I know that guy. So Linda and I quick ran out to uh, visit with him. And uh, right away I said, come on in, we'll find a spot for you. And uh, that was Joachim Wolfram. Uh, he's a He's got a PhD in, uh, I forgot the exact name, but it's like software engineering. He's a Buddhist monk. Uh, he's really a lot of fun. And we've met up with him, worked with him over the years. Uh, he wrote this series now, this, these books, the uh, Altar. He, it's about the dragon. And Damas has talked about the dragon for a little while now, uh, and, and basically said it's the last thing that you encounter before you go into realization. The dragon, uh, it literally goes in and finds all your crap because you cannot take that, any imbalances, any wounds, any, any of that with you into realization. And the, we hide a lot of things. The dragon goes in and finds it. And uh, when I actually sent me his book early on, I put it on the nightstand because like you, I've got a stack of books I need to read. One night, about six months later, I picked it up and it's like, oh my God, he has distilled the whole concept of the dragon. He doesn't make it fluffy or, uh, or even terrorizing. Uh, he does, there's no macchio. He has such an incredible understanding of the dragon, that, that uh, part of us that will help you to release all the crap that's still there so you can go into realization. Uh, he's written five books now, but uh, the first one definitely is the starting place. Mm. Wow. Book number seven, Spiritual Enlightenment, The yeah, Damnedest yeah. Thing by Jed McKenna. Yeah. What I liked about Jed McKenna, it's, uh, that's not his real name. It's a, uh, it's a pen name. And uh, somebody told me about the book. I picked it up and started to read it. And I really, I liked it and I didn't like it. Uh, 
it's not his real name and it's not a real story, but you're reading it and you think it's a real story, you know, uh, you know, about the author. So uh, Jed McKenna, whoever that happens to be, doesn't want to be known, but he is also very clear and frank uh, in, in talking about spiritual bullshit. And, and uh, in the storyline, he travels around and, and uh, people come to his schools, his classes, and that, and he calls them out uh, very much like Adamus. And he calls them out on their crap. There's times you really don't like this guy. He's annoying and provocative and irritating and egotistical. Uh, and there's other times where you really recognize the value. Uh, what I liked about it, he calls out a lot of the spiritual BS. Uh, and that's why some people aren't going to like it because, you know, they're kind of invested into some of the, uh, the spiritual um, macchio, I guess you'd call it. Uh, but uh, I really liked his books a lot. Mm. And number eight, abundance. The future is better than you think. Peter. Diamandis. Diamandis. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Peter Diamandis uh, is an incredible guy. He does his work out of Mountain View, California. Ames Research Center, where I used to work, so it's a little bit strange. But um, I read that book shortly after we did this thing uh, that Adamus had just started. He called it Pronost, and it's his annual planetary forecast. He doesn't talk about predictions in the future and during our regular stuff, but once a year, he'll talk about what's coming in the future. We did the first one. Uh, with just Adamus in, I think it was 2014. And he laid out this thing that just blew my mind, but it was talking about basically technology being the real driving force right now on the planet. Going into a lot of detail about robotics, nanotechnology, uh, genealogy, not genealogy, but uh, what, yeah, genealogy, the study of uh, the, the, our genes and um, so Damas went into a fair amount of detail and it was a little weird because it wasn't really spiritual. Uh, and, and anyway, shortly after that, somebody suggested this book, uh, Abundance. And I, thought, I really don't want to read about abundance. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I've read books in the past that are all the same, you know, uh, and the only one that's abundant is the author, you know, publishing them. <laughs> and, um, anyway, I read this book and it was so, similar to what Adamus had talked about in terms of our future on the planet, the, the changes that are going to take place because of artificial technology and because in hitting this thing, what we, what is called singularity where, you know, kind of the, our future is kind of like on a hockey stick in terms of the pace of changes. But at a certain point it goes off the charts. You cannot even see it. Uh, you couldn't predict it if you wanted to. Uh, so Peter was not, not spiritual at all. I think he's an atheist, uh, talks really about the future of the planet, uh, based on technology. And it's not, um, uh, what do you call it? It's not fearful at all. Everything is backed up by facts. And he works with a lot of people, uh, like, uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, who, who's written a lot about the future and, and technology. Uh, so it's, it's very, these are very mental people. That book had a big impact also. And I'd recommend it to anybody. If you want to really understand what's going to happen in the future, going to cryptocurrency, for instance, uh, it's going to be the way of the future. A lot of a lot of the spiritual crowd doesn't really like the whole thing, you know, with uh, technology and computers, and they don't like talking about our artificial uh, intelligence. But 
it's happening right now. I mean, it's, it's not a theory of the future. It's literally happening right now. So it's a really good book. I, I find this a really interesting subject. I don't know if you've read Dan Brown's uh, book, Origins. Yes, um, I have. So he kind of goes there, you know, without giving away too much about the book. He goes in that direction and lays out some very interesting stuff at the yeah. end of the book, which isn't that far away. Um, but, you know, this word spiritual, I find... Um, as you just alluded, there are people who want their spirituality, you know, served up with some candy floss and marshmallows <laughs> and um, and love and light and, you know, and yep. everything is roses. And, and then there's a, another reality. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know what to make of it. I don't know enough about it, but I can see that, the, you know, the artificial intelligence, I mean, all of it is really part of, it's all part of it. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, we're, we're learning about ourselves and the energy that we are and the yeah. creative beings that we are. But, and Adamus literally has talked about in the pronost, annual pronost ever since, about how we're literally um, birthing a new species of humans. Uh, the current Homo sapiens have been around for a long time. He calls it now the uh, Robo sapiens. Uh, we're going to be part technology and part biology. And some people are like, oh, we can't go there. But, you know, technology actually has a great place in certain things. And yes, it can be overdone. And yes, I am concerned about implants. Uh, and that's coming out um, later this year through um, uh, uh, the the Tesla guy. Uh, forget his name off that way. Elon Musk. Thank you. Yeah, Elon. Uh, one of his companies is literally doing the work right now. And they're going to go to a human trial at the end of the year with an implant that automatically connects you to the cloud. That's a little scary for me. But Adama says it's here, and that's, he also points out, he says, that's why we're here, because uh, we, uh, the Crimson Circle and many other people, are here to balance all that with consciousness. Uh, technology is a wonderful thing if there is consciousness uh, to balance it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that, that book was, is big, and I, I'd really recommend it to anybody, even if you're not interested in technology uh, per se, but to understand really what's coming, the internet of things where uh, in a couple of years, we're going to have more monitoring devices than there are humans on the planet. Uh, not a, even a couple of years, I think next year. And at some point in the next five years, it'll be three times as many uh, little monitoring devices uh, uh, on the planet than there are people. And it's a little nerve wracking, you know, to think that everything you do and say is going to be monitored, but Adamus actually addressed that last week to a group and said, so what? You shine your light into those cameras, into those monitoring devices. That's what you're here for. Not to run from and hide from them. He said, you got nothing to hide anyway. And, uh, you know, for the most part, actually, I don't think they're interested in, like, watching my life. It'd be pretty boring but uh, or weird. But uh, he said that is why we're here. He claims he wrote a book, by the way, in his last lifetime, shortly before he died, which would have been about 1794, I think. He, he wrote a book uh, in his last few years called The Time of Machines. And was basically him projecting into the future, which is now seeing all these things he calls the looking glasses, which are actually our, 
our little mobile devices we're always looking into. And he talks about how it was so important to have a group of humans on the planet at that time who were bringing consciousness because otherwise things would have gone terrible. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, we created the technology. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what's the source of it? I mean, the source of it is us, you yeah. know, and are we really separate from it? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Susie Miller, but she channels the collective yes. consciousness of the children. Yes. And, you know, Susie says that the kids say again and again, we, we are the technology and love is the technology. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I think really through technology, we're also breaking down and coming to understand what we created. Uh, I think we created life as it is, Mm -hmm. Now, and Adama says that, you know, a true creation, there's no agenda and no outcome. It is simply for the sake of creation. Then you dive into it to see what the hell you created and to experience it. And then science tears it apart and says, yeah. okay, here's really what's happening with the molecules and the atoms. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But they didn't create this. We created that. And now we're coming to understand it. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I love technology as far as you know, computers and uh, mobile devices. And we use a lot of technology in Crimson Circle with our, we have a studio in Hawaii and a studio here in Colorado. Uh, we're doing a big event uh, this this weekend online uh, with a three-day thing with well over a thousand people. We better know about technology, you know, for doing that. But uh, uh, we just hired a new senior director of technology, a really high level guy, because in the coming couple of years, we want to have like a, like a thing where you go online with Crimson Circle and you ask uh, a question, you know, just anything you want. It will go into, the, uh, into all of our documents, our media files, pull it out and not just give you links to look at, but it will speak to you like you're talking to Adamas. So Adamas, tell me about Atlantis. And suddenly it's talking to you with the artificial intelligence, but no, I love technology. You know, I remember being at the London book fair early in the nineties and um, they were sh the first time we actually got to see this thing called a CD <laughs> that, and, and here's, here's the encyclopedia Britannica, all the, however many volumes. And here it is on this CD and I'm looking at it and thinking, no, that's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, look and, where we've come. And, and younger people ask you now, what's a CD? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, we're into vinyl. Yeah. Do you know what vinyl is? Yeah, we know what vinyl is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it goes round and round, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So book number nine, Ramtha. Yeah. The white book, Jay-Z Knight. I read this back, um, I guess, right about the time I was reading the Cryon book. So uh, it wasn't done my list in chronological order, but I loved Ramtha. Uh, it, it was great. And again, I've always wished I had just gone up to Yelm, Washington, uh, to go through one of the Ramtha schools, at least back then, just never had a chance to do it. But Ramtha was a, was an old warrior and, uh, Jay-Z did an incredible job, but it still does of channeling him. Uh, but I, I loved his, you know, he wasn't this, uh, Buddha type of guy. He was a warrior and suddenly he found himself 
sitting on this rock for years and years healing from wounds and uh, really had some tremendous insights into, into living. I, I loved um, his sense of humor. Uh, very, very funny. And I love that uh, even while Jay-Z was channeling him, he'd have her drinking wine, having the whole audience drinking wine. And uh, I, I liked that. I, I was out jogging one day and this was back in about 90, six maybe 1996 and just minding my own business jogging and suddenly ramp the popped in i had a wonderful little conversation with him lasted maybe three minutes but it was like oh yeah i know this guy uh, i really like him yeah book number 10 um I, now this is kind of out of left field because i don't think anybody would expect to see it on your list. Um, I love the book and I was re really tickled when I saw it. Right. The Mists of Avalon, Marion yeah. Zimmer Bradley. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible novel, if it is a novel and not a memory. Um, what was it about this book that did it for you? Well, and I think for, for her, it was um, uh, writing her memory. Uh, and and uh, actually any novel, it has to come from something within. But uh, I know she was back there at those times. And I know I was there at those times. And I was reading this like like I'm living it, not just reading it. And I have such a such a deep, deep connection with uh, the whole Arthurian legends and King Arthur and Camelot. And uh, I have asked Tobias and Adamus about them. And they said that they actually really existed, not necessarily in the way that a lot of people think, but they existed. And more than anything, they exist in a slightly different realm. So even while there was one version of the Arthurian legends taking place uh, back, back in your territory, you know, quite a while back, uh, they also exist in another, another realm where they are still being played out, acted out. And her book was so descriptive and deep and the, her ability to build the characters, uh, her writing style. I, I get so irritated sometimes, uh, uh, like a, a, what could be a really good book, but the writing style was, was like, I hate to, to say it, but James Redfield, Celestine Prophecy, great information, terrible writing style. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, James. Um, I agree. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and I'm really particular about that, but her style was so elegant and uh, deep and carried a lot of energy. I love that book and it, it kind of awoke the whole Merlin Arthurian thing within me. Uh, a lot of reminders of, of that time. I, I also remember we did a tour years ago uh, with a group, uh, about 50 people. We went to uh, um, Avebury and we went to Tintagel. Is that how you say it? Tintagel? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we then we went to Glastonbury, and I remember in Glastonbury I was just kind of walking by myself, out somewhere, and uh, just saw this uh, like a marker for what's supposed to be King Arthur's grave, and just broke down crying. I mean, it was like it was just so a flood of memories coming in. So that that time period for me was was very important. That's why the book was. I hear that from everybody who loves that book. Yeah. It speaks to them on such a deep, 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 visceral soul level. They know it. They know that she knew it. You know, they right. have memories. They can, they can say, yes, that's how it was. Um, and uh, I don't know another book that's ever touched nope. me in that way. 
you know, I tried reading other books after that because I thought, oh, that was amazing. And they didn't even hold a candle to it. No other book even came close. Uh, that, that book was just amazing. Do you have any suspicion of what persona you may have occupied back then? Uh, I take the fifth. <laughs> okay. I, I, no, I, I, no, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> okay. Okay. All hey, right. But well, I, I, I will say, we'll say one thing about that. So over the years, when we started traveling and channeling and meeting a lot of people. So I met a lot of King Arthur's and I met a lot of uh, um, uh, the, the various characters uh, in the thing. And then you wonder, well, how could everybody be Guinevere? How could everybody be Lancelot? And then uh, I checked with uh, Tobias on that. And he said, well, they're, they've become archetypical energies. And you don't have to necessarily have been the real character, but you relate to it. Uh, you kind of, in a way, you've even adapted it. So he said, yes, you, you, could, you could feel very, very connected with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, actually. Yeah, I, I had a, the energy, the essence of it. I had a late night talk with Lee Carroll one time, the channeler for crying at one of the events. And we got to talking about uh, the whole Arthurian legend. And uh, he, he really feels it as well. And we got to talking about the characters and, you know, and he's like, well, who do you think you were? And I'm like, who do you think you were? So <laughs> it was really funny, but he, he is also very, very connected to that. So um, that's the 10 books. Um, yeah. Of these 10 books, if you had to give just one mm -hmm. to somebody who was starting out on their spiritual journey, um, which one would you choose to give them? Oof, I'm going to say that they're all really, really good. I would say I'd probably still go with Siddhartha. Uh, there's so much to it. Uh, it. Would you be, I'm looking at my list here, it'd be a uh, toss up between Siddhartha and for a beginner, the altar is very, very deep. Um, some of the other books really aren't that spiritual. I would say Siddhartha or Illusions, and I say read those and come back. I got some other ones for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, starting starting on the journey, you know, and going into like the pre-awakening awakening phase is uh, is really sensitive, really touchy, and I'd never want to overload somebody with uh, some of the heavier things at that point. Um, the work we do in Crimson Circle is basically going from post awakening uh, post could be, you know, a year mm -hmm. could be 10 years after awakening into uh, what we call embodied realization. And so we really don't deal with uh, awakening people. Lee Carroll's uh, ideal for that. His work is he's helped so many people awaken. Uh, but I would start with some, the simpler fare. Uh, without a lot of the spices on at that point, and then come back later for some of the deeper dives. Yeah, simpler but the solid. You know, yeah. I'm not too happy about starting people on some of the stuff that's filling the shelves now. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and uh, simple and true. And in yeah. both of those books, have so much truth in them. They just, uh, it's yeah. a great place to start. And then, the, you know, the person will go into their awakening naturally in their own way, and then books will be attracted to them. Uh, the appropriate yes. things, but uh, we find that so often they they just hit the right thing at the right time. Uh, different books, different lectures, or things like that. Mm. I want to talk about 
one of your books because it is our current bookworm and um, active consciousness um, which for me I think you know there's two of your books that have kind of become my favorites that is one of them and I can't remember the title of the other one but I it's where you were basically telling the story of you know from the very beginning um, and, and oh, both journey of them, journey of the angels yeah journey of the and, angels is good yeah yeah, yeah. And both of them have, you know, touched me in a way that, a bit like Miss of Avalon, you know, I know that. Mm -hmm. I know this to be true. And they're the kinds of books that really do it for me and that I want to share with other people. You know, say a few words about active consciousness and what it means to you. Yeah, I, active consciousness is probably our most popular book. Actually, it made it to number five on um oh the uh, the uh, i forgot the name of the list but it was the most recommended uh spiritual books of all times and ahead of like even dalai lama <clears throat> which was kind of weird uh so it's done really really well in active consciousness uh adamas talks about what consciousness is what energy is he gives these amazing physics but in a very very simple way mm -hmm. and and basically says then everything we do is really just an act of consciousness. And this, this persona is just an act of consciousness and it can be changed easily. You know, I'm really not Jeffrey Hoppy locked into all this. I'm having an act of consciousness. And once I recognize that, then it's much easier to change. And everybody you deal with in your life is they're, they're just in their act of consciousness. And he basically ends up by saying, so what do you want to be? What do you want to do? You're not stuck in your ancestral family. You're not stuck in a certain financial position. Just all an act of consciousness. Once you recognize that and how energy responds to consciousness, you can do anything you want. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's some pretty complex, could be complex uh, information, but he keeps it pretty simple. Yeah, I love the, you know, I love the practicality of it. It's always yeah. got to be pra practical and useful for me. Otherwise, you know, don't give me something that, you know, I can't ground. And um, I remember too uh, mentioning in a show I was doing, um, I was doing a series called Conversations with Money. And nice. um, I loved, you know, what Adama's had to say about, you know, well, this person is just, you know, they're just, they're having their experience with it. And, and just the yeah. way, I don't remember the actual words, but the way it was worded was, oh, that is so perfect. You know, it's such yeah. a perfect, perfect description of what is going on with the person that's abundant and the person that isn't. And so I had to put it into this show just because it was, you know. Yeah, and they're both, they're both just um, in their act uh, utilizing their energy, even though they don't think it's theirs. They think, you know, it's being yeah. doled out from the outside or whatever. And it's like, no, you're just in your own active consciousness. You know, just remember that. And then you could change anything you want, yeah. including your biology uh, and it, bringing in what he calls the free energy body, what other people call the light body, but it's all just an act of consciousness. And yeah. he says, we're really here to explore our consciousness and how it interacts with our energy. That's the, uh, that's really the whole purpose uh, of being here, uh, discovering that. And ultimately you come to realize all this is just my energy without attributing any of it to anyone or anything else. This is all my energy, my reality. 
Now, how do I want it to serve me? And as simple as that is, most people will resist it. Yes. They, they don't want to believe it's their energy. And they're almost afraid of energy. In other words, they've gone through some tough things in life. So they've really dialed down their energy. They, they've uh, closed the valve on it because it hurts too much. And they, they, a lot of people say, no, no, I need more energy. It's like, no, actually, they really don't because it hurts. Otherwise, they would have it. And then you start to realize, hang on, this is my energy. I'm going to let it serve me. And now suddenly you're in a state of grace. And it all, you don't even have to work at things anymore. It just works out. It's so simple, so amazing. But yet people want the, uh, they want to make it difficult. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that true? I mean, man's a problem solving animal. Give us yeah, a yeah. problem. I haven't got a problem. You know, I'm not happy. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, you, um, one of the things we like to do is when you gave us your list on your page, keywords, you know, we asked people to give us some keywords and you gave us Chandler, author, lecturer. Um, you know, we know what you do. Um, but I like to ask our guests, I want one word or phrase that tells us about the person behind the bio, something that maybe only Linda or those that are close to you. Something quirky, a giveaway. Um, <laughs> okay, something really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it would be uh, very, very curious. Uh, I, I think it would be the biggest thing about, you know, what, what is this all about? And, and uh, how, how do we go about getting there? And, uh, and just what are, not what are the answers? I don't obsess over it, but just intense curiosity where part of me, the Virgo part of me, really wants to hold back. And it's like, no, just let's, let's one step at a time. Let's not go too fast here. And the other part, the Sagittarius, let's dive into it and find out all about it. And then the Virgo has to clean up the pieces later. But yeah. uh, just very, very curious about what this is all about, why we're here. Uh, I, I like, um, I actually like the search, uh, that, you know, and, uh, Adamus has kind of admonished me at times about it. He says, stop searching. It's right there. And it's like, I know, but I kind of like it. It's fun. Okay. And uh, so tremendously curious on how this all turns out. Uh, you know, we're at an, a very incredible time on the planet right now. It could be scary, uh, but I actually don't think for the most part it's going to be uh, bad. Uh, we've got this coronavirus, which is serving a tremendous purpose right now. You know, and, and, you know, you could say, well, it's a, it's a pain in the butt and it's causing a lot of deaths, but it is cleansing out so many things right now. And, and you know, the, the changes that come as a result of this over the years are going to be phenomenal. But um, I just, I'm fascinated every day that I wake up about what's happening. And then on top of that, Adamus talks about in the next, uh, you know, he, he said this is the summer of realization for about a thousand Chambra. I'm a little overwhelmed by that. I mean, not that it's my responsibility, but really, Adamus, we're going to have a thousand or more enlightened beings uh, within the Crimson Circle this summer. And I mean, Jeffrey, me, I would have never said that. It's like, well, that's a stupid move, you know? <laughs> it's like, don't put it out there, but he's put it out there. So I'm curious to see how this all turns out. And, uh, and on the same time, there's tremendous pressure and I'm intimidated by it. Do you ever feel a bit like um, um, 
the character, uh, Robin Williams' character in What Dreams May Come, when he reaches the end and it says, should we go back and do it all again? That really, it, it's about the journey, the puzzle. It's unraveling the pieces. Let's see how complicated we can make it. And let's see if we can still get through it. Yeah. Do you ever feel a bit like that? Uh, by the way, referring to that, uh, the book is excellent. The movie you know, wasn't nearly as good. But the book really, if you want to understand death, uh, and Adama says, we teach a class in death and he says, read the book, what, what dreams may come. Uh, it's very, very similar to things that happen, but yeah, at the end watching the movie, you know, they come back together, young kids, they're meeting together in a new lifetime. And I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm not coming back. Uh, there's all many wonderful lifetimes, but no, I'm not coming back. Uh, no does, need to. Does Jeffrey have a choice? Yes, absolutely. Okay. You know, and actually one of the biggest challenges about realization and one of the things that makes me a little nervous about Adamus's prediction of this thousand people is that you hit this point of realization and you really don't want to stay. I mean, it's not a negative thing, but it's like, why? You know, and you, you, go, you go to a, sh a grocery store, you're in traffic and you're like, I just don't want to put up with this anymore. And bless them on their journey, but it's not my journey anymore. And you realize you don't need to. There's no more karma. There's no ancestral linkages or bondages anymore. And Adama says, you know, we typically have a, uh, about uh, 1,200 lifetimes. And why come back again? Uh, that just doesn't make sense. The hardest part, you we hit that realization. And there's a big part of you, and we've seen it with a number of our people, yeah. you just pop off the planet. Uh, and you realize it is so heavy and so rough at times and so gray, uh, gray, not meaning the literal color, but just the grayness of life. You come back into your free self and it's like, ah, oh, yes, this is, this is who I really am. So why do we actually come here in the first place? I know I asked Bruce Lipton that once and he said chocolate. <laughs> chocolate yeah i can think of a few on that list but chocolate wine and sex i mean they're great things yeah. uh well in in the book uh it was uh tobias's book journey of the angels he kind of goes into that uh without spending a lot of time on it but in the other realms before earth uh all energy had kind of come to a standstill you know it just things weren't expanding and so earth was created as a place to learn our relationship between consciousness and energy and to dive into our own creation and see what the hell it'd be like. So it's been an amazing uh, study and experience in our consciousness, you as a being of consciousness uh, as the I am and, uh, and your relationship to energy. And so, uh, and, and that spans over many, many lifetimes. Uh, but you know, on the other side, they go by pretty quick. Here, we think it's like really slow. It's happening very slowly, but it goes by pretty quick. Mm. Well, I but always I say I'm not coming back, but I do suspect that I might get bored and we'll want to just see what's going on. Uh, Adamus is very clear saying you will never have a boring day as an enlightened being. There is no such thing because your creativity is wide open now instead of limited and you'll never have a boring day. He said, earth is boring. Going back, going back to basically the same family, lifetime after lifetime, and he says most people in uh, from one incarnation to another 
they don't even uh, move 50 miles or kilometers beyond the city they were in in the last lifetime. That's boring. Yeah. That's really yeah. boring. Yeah, yeah, that that would be boring. I couldn't, I couldn't stay for that. It's no. interesting. I just saw a message pop up. Um, apparently, you have answered somebody's question without it even being asked. Oh, good. Um, I'm not quite sure which question it was. It may be this one we've just been discussing. You know, one of the one of the lovely things about this series, and I, you know, I mentioned before how much I'm enjoying them, is um, the fact that. When you come on, when others come on, they do it with such openness and vulnerability mm. that we all get reminded again and again and again that we're all, you know, souls, energy, having this journey. And it's nice to know that other people have had their moments of, you know, um, wonder and awe and disbelief and vulnerability and sensitivity dark nights of the soul and yeah. you know uh, we've gone yeah. through it you know linda and i like to think that uh we, we are very emphatic as a matter of fact saying we are not teachers uh we're not spiritual gurus or anything like that i'm a translator uh literally you know like uh because i take the stuff from tobias or now adamas and i translate that into human words they do not feed me words um it's like this ball of uh of uh, information or data or consciousness and it's downloaded uh, all at the beginning, all while Linda's doing the breathing or we play a little music, it's downloaded into me and it's like a big ball of yarn kind of like, now I have to unravel it and say the words. I pick the words, not Adamas, and I have to add the, their energy to the words. So actually Tobias trained me how to use my voice uh, when, when I channel. And uh, so we're translators and we're sharing the journey with everybody else. And it's an amazing journey. Do you ever, do you ever get, you know, I could imagine Adamus doing this, perhaps not Tobias, but uh, no, silly. That's not what I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. And he'll make it very public. He'll say, uh, he'll say, no, he, he's picking the wrong word here. Let's back up. I want a little bit different word or, but not only that, when I channel uh, with Tobias, I, of course, sitting in a chair, my eyes closed. Uh, with Adamus, he wants me to channel the the words, you know, take and translate the words. But he also wants a very specific body language, movements, timing, pauses. Uh, you know, he claims that he was Shakespeare in a, in a past lifetime. So to him, the theatrics uh, are a big part of it. And theatrics, not in a bad way, but... You know, he says, learn to be expressive. And uh, some of the fun workshops are when he pulls somebody up to the front and has them try to be expressive. And, of course, they, they stand there, you know, and can barely get words out of their mouth. Says you, you, for, you, for the sake of yourself, you've got to be expressive. And then he takes off on some Shakespearean thing and acting it out, and, okay. which I've never read Shakespeare. So it's kind of amazing for me to be doing that. And uh, he said, just open it up. Uh, be expressive. Yeah, well, what have we got to lose? Yeah except our, our sanity maybe, but, but who's really crazy? <laughs> Jeff, it's been a real delight to speak with you and to talk more about your book choices, the stories behind them. I just want to let everybody know that you, obviously, you probably know this anyway, but you can always find all things uh, about Jeff at crimsoncircle.com. Jeff Hoppy, thank you. 
Thank you. And Tindy, thank you for the work you do. We've known each other for a number of years and uh, you're, you're truly amazing. Uh, brilliant. As a matter of fact, thank you. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. And thank you to all of you at home. And in case you're not aware, we do have a private Facebook group where we can all connect and you get to be the first to see these events as soon as they're edited and published. And um, you can also go to the website where they'll get posted on the face to face video interviews page as well as on YouTube. And if you prefer to download audios to listen to in your car, you can now go to Anchor, Spotify, Apple iTunes and several other podcast sites and you'll find all of these there. Thank you for joining us today. Till next time. It's goodbye from me. <laughs>